0: Like you said, my name is Tiffany. I'm a senior at LSU, um, obviously. And um, yeah, let's, let's pray. <laughs> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Fill this room, fill our hearts. May we be open to receiving all of the gifts that you wish to give us tonight. And may we know better your great love for us. We place this night. In the loving hands of Our Lady, as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So, a fun fact about me. The first time I was asked to give my testimony when I was a freshman in college, I said that I didn't have one. Um, because I never experienced a really radical conversion. And that's what I thought testimony meant. But I failed to see how the Lord has moved in my life, um, especially in the last three years. When I started out in school here, I just wanted a typical college experience. I joined a sorority. I just wanted to do the college thing like a normal person. I'd go to mass on Sunday like I was supposed to, confession when I really had to, And call that a day. And the Lord had different plans. So when I was moving in, my mom and I went to Mass um, right before she left. And Father Andrew, at the end of Mass, announced that there would be a freshman retreat. And my mom turns to me. And she says, Tiffany. I said, yeah. She says, you're going to go on that retreat. And I said, okay. (laughs) guess I will. um, Because I still have to listen to you because you're right here. And so I did. I signed up for the retreat. And... Going on that retreat, like, it was really early in the morning, drug myself out of bed, got there. There was this girl named Gabby Bella, who's now my good friend and roommate, Um, but we met at that retreat, and um, she was really into the whole Jesus. (laughs) She's back there. Um, And she was just, like, really living her faith, right? And so they're encouraging us to sign up for a Bible study throughout the whole day. And I thought, look, I barely got here. I am not signing up for a Bible study. And at the end of the retreat, my new friend Gabby, she comes up to me and she says, hey, so I signed you up for the Bible study that I'm going to. I said, all right, I guess I'm going to that Bible study now. Um, And that was the first of four really significant things that happened for me as a freshman at LSU, Um, was encountering the Lord and learning to hear his voice in my life through scripture. It was the first time that I'd really like prayed with scripture and and learned to sit with it and um, discerned how the Lord spoke to me and speaks to all of us through his word. Um, And as I got more into that Bible study, I felt as though I should probably be going to daily mass once a week. Like I was like, I can give the Lord 30 minutes once a week in daily mass. And so I said, okay, Lord, like I'll do that. And that was the second, and I think probably the most significant, was I started to frequent the sacraments. The more and more I frequented the sacraments, the more and more I wanted to frequent the sacraments. I started going to Mass um, once a week, but that became twice a week for daily Mass, and um, yeah, and confession, and just going, frequenting the sacraments more and more, um, and growing in a very real relationship with Jesus through the physical signs of the sacraments. And then... (laughs) Through the Bible study, the focus missionary that led it, Maddie West, she wanted me to go on this focus conference that happens at the end of the fall semester. And I was like, look, Maddie, absolutely not. I got too many things to do. Not really, but I just don't want to (laughs) go. And so she just kept making it really easy for me to go. Like every excuse I threw at her, she's like, okay, but. And so eventually I was like, look, (laughs) fine. Okay, I'll go. Um, And through that Focus Conference, I met incredible people who really knew Jesus. And it was the first time in my life that I knew people my age who knew the Lord and who loved the Lord. Um, And not only that, but they wanted to be my friend and they wanted to encourage me in my journey Um, and encourage me to know the Lord and love the Lord better. And so that was the third thing. It started with scripture, moved into the sacraments. Then it was community. Community. And then at the end of that focus conference on my way back home, Father Andrew was on my bus, and he says, Hey, Christ the King is trying to establish perpetual adoration, and we need adorers. I said, Okay, I'm a team player. I can do that. And so I signed up for a holy hour. And that came the fourth thing, was spending a lot of intentional time with the Lord in silence and in prayer before the Eucharist. So it was scripture, sacraments community, and prayer, (laughs) and when you look at it, on the surface, it looks like I really just accidentally fell into a relationship with Jesus through those four things, Um, and if it was me, then yeah, it was an accident, but it wasn't me. It was the Lord pursuing me, and he made it so easy for me to take tiny little bitty steps into a deeper relationship with him. Um, I like to say that Mary, she gives her fiat, which is thy will be done, not technically a yes, It's really more of an okay, like I've been saying this whole time. Okay, I'll go to that retreat. Okay, I'll join the Bible study. Okay, fine. Like really just more of, okay, God, you do what you're going to do. And through giving those little okays and making those tiny steps towards the Lord, he really did all the pursuing. He pursued me and loved me well. and and sought after my heart, um, just as he's seeking after all of your hearts. He's still seeking after my heart. He's still pursuing me. He's still giving me little things to say yes to. Um, And he's doing that with all of us. He's done that with you. He's going to continue to do that with you. It just looks different. Um, So I just really encourage you going forward um, this evening and before the Blessed Sacrament especially to take time to think about how the Lord has moved in your life, the little things he's put, the little gifts like the sacrament, scripture, those gifts that he's put in front of you that you can step into, that he has pursued you through and loved you through. Because ultimately, he just wants us to be known and loved. And we are called to be known and loved. And we become fully alive in his love for us. So, our next speaker, Sari Denny, is going to be speaking about Pope John Paul the Great because it's his feast day and theology of the body. And here she is.
1: Hi, my name is Sarah. I used to work here at Christ the King for a few years, so it's really sweet to be back. Um, Yeah, they asked me to come give this talk. Who I am is not really as important as who John Paul II is, and I don't have a lot of time. One of my biggest struggles when they put a mic in my hand is to stop talking. And John Paul II is easily for me to say one of my greatest heroes. So this morning, just to kind of exemplify this for you, I went on a run, and I saw all these people, and it was very difficult for me. I had to realize I shouldn't be saying, Happy Feast Day, to like every single person that I was running by. I needed to say hi and just keep moving. Um, But so many people were texting me, Happy Feast Day, because I think you could probably say I'm a little bit obsessed with him, but there's a reason. So today my goal is two things. One, to show you, John Paul II, who he is as a man, as a person, but really as a spiritual father. And then two, to invite you into deeper relationship with the Lord through his example. Um, So quick pointers, because usually people ask these questions, and at the end of this talk, we're going to be sliding into adoration. And so I'd rather do this in the beginning. So if you were interviewing me, here's the basic points. My favorite book about John Paul II in terms of a biography is Witness to Hope by George Weigel. A little bit more comfortable of a read, some of you might write this down, if you don't it's fine, is His Five Loves by Jason Everett. Uh, My favorite book that John Paul II wrote is called Love and Responsibility. My favorite encyclical that he wrote is called Mulieris Dignitatem*, which is Latin for On the Dignity and Vocation of Women. My favorite letter that he wrote is a letter to women. You'll notice this common theme. Um, And my favorite children's book about him is Carol. No, no, it's called A Boy Who Became Pope. Um, It's super cute and, like, really well illustrated, and you can give it as presents. Okay, so if you really want to know, you can just re-listen to this, and then you'll have all the tips that I just gave you of what to read to learn more. John Paul II. I encountered him... um, more so actually after he had passed away. I remember hearing about him when I was in high school because he added the luminous mysteries of the rosary, um, which I thought were really beautiful. I remember hearing about him passing away before uh, a softball game that I had. They like, told all of us that this had happened. But it wasn't until a few years later when I was a freshman in college, so some of your age, similar to that, um, and I took a introduction to women's studies class So this was in January of 2008, um, and so this was before a lot of this conversation had really started um, increasing as it is now being as common. But the questions that we were asked on the first day of class was, what is your name, what's your biological sex, and what's your gender? Now I came from like, I mean, I guess probably sort of a sheltered background. I was like, oh my gosh, isn't that self-evident? Like I thought it was the same thing. So I was like, my name is Sarah, I'm a woman, and I'm female. But then in the course of that semester, I realized like, oh, everyone doesn't think like I do. You know, you realize that at a certain point? Which is good. But I also had to learn through that class that there is a lot that can be learned from listening to other people, especially when they don't agree with you and what you think. So that class started me on a journey. That's when I first read Letter to Women. And in reading Letter to Women, I was reading the way that John Paul II wrote about women and I realized that he saw and respected women as a gift, right? And in our culture, sometimes that's not what happens, right? So I saw that and I was encouraged and because of that, the path that I'm now on is um, I'm writing my doctoral dissertation, specifically focusing in his philosophy, especially about women, But why does this matter? Like, why is he such a big deal? So I'm going to take you a little bit deeper. This matters because John Paul II's message was not just for the time that he lived in. His message, which is an echo of the gospel, is such that it exists for all time because it is truth. What he had to say was that every single one of you here tonight, because you are a human person, you were created with the capacity to love. But we, we use the word love, like, I love Christmas, I love hot dogs, I love popcorn, like, he's talking about something different. He's saying love is what innately within you, in and through the gift of your very body, in and through the gift of your very person, this capacity that you have to give of yourself as a gift to others but he challenges us, and he especially loved young people because he knew that you had it within you to meet the demands of love. He was honest because he acknowledged love is hard. It's not supposed to be comfortable. He said there was this holy tension that exists, right? That when we are called to love, which we each are, we encounter this tension between what's comfortable right? And then what is requiring a sacrifice of us? But John Paul II said that man and so woman can only find himself through a sincere gift of self. Each one of us in this room is called to make a gift of ourselves. Now, this starts out, you, you grow up your daughter or a son, you continue to mature your sister or brother, you give yourself In vows, you're a wife or a husband, then you're a mother or a father, even if it's just a spiritual dimension of fatherhood or motherhood, it is real and it is important. And what it does is it draws out of you the gift of your very self. Because let's be honest, if we are comfortable, if we are not challenged, more often than not, we're just going to sit back and relax and let things kind of happen, Right? Love demands of you that you go out to the other and you are present. Now, this can obviously take a manifold of forms, which we're not going to get into. But what he says is that your entire journey, and he says, this is a lifetime journey. Y'all, we never, like, arrive. And if we think we've arrived, we're in trouble, right? What he's saying is this is a lifetime journey of maturation, There are 5 million things I want to say right now, but I'm not going to do that. So, quickly, as a little overview of John Paul II's philosophy, he talks about the great gift that, number one, you exist, right? God gave you the gift of life. You exist among all of the creatures of the world, but then he takes it another step and he says, you don't just exist, you don't just have being. Because you are a human person, you are a unique creature— And when I mentioned earlier that you have the capacity to love, what that means is that you have an interiority to your person. In other words, I, as Sarah, have an interior where my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my hopes, my dreams, everything, right? We call it the heart, right, where these things reside. God intended it that way. And it is a deep, deep wellspring, And it is not to be taken lightly. It even says in scripture, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It's that from which your whole person flows. The challenge that I wanted to offer you this evening is that, yes, you are called to be a gift. Yes, you are called to love. To get to that point, you have to come to know who you are. Does that make sense? You can only give the gift of yourself if you first possess the gift of who you are. Which brings me to the point of freedom. We use the word a lot, especially in America. We're like, freedom, freedom, freedom. We're all free, free. But what does that mean? We don't really talk about it. What it doesn't mean is that we're free to do whatever the heck we want whenever we want to, no matter how it affects anyone else. Although we think that, right, until then someone's like, hey, you can't do that because that offends me. And then we're like, well, I'm free. And they're like, well, so am I. So what is freedom? John Paul II says that just saying I am free is not sufficient. You have to follow it up with then. If you are free, you then say I am responsible. If you are responsible, you come to know the gift of who you are so that you can, in freedom, offer the gift of yourself to another. Because in reality, you can never force another to love you. We don't possess anyone else. The only one we possess is ourselves. Now, in this culture, um, I was talking with someone recently, and they were talking about how this culture is very much a culture of swipe left, swipe right, you know, like the Tinder thing. And people get into marriage, and then they're like, Oh my gosh, like you can't just swipe left or swipe right on your marriage. You can't just swipe left or swipe right on life decisions that you've made. Right? John Paul II is telling young people constantly, he's like, do not stay on the surface. Go to the heart of things. Every single one of you in this room, you have emotions. Guess what? They're actually really good, although sometimes they're completely perplexing, even to ourselves, right? But he encourages you to this integration Meaning, when you feel something, you don't just react to it. If you haven't noticed, it's an election year. We're getting close to the election. A lot of people are reacting. They're not thinking things through, and they're just saying whatever the heck they're feeling, right? John Paul II acknowledges that feelings are good, but he says you have the responsibility to see if your feelings slash emotions are in line with the most important thing. You want to know what the testing point is for integration? For love, for all the things I'm talking about, truth. Truth is objective, it exists. There is a good and there's that which is not good. Lucky for us, truth also has a name, and it is Jesus Christ. The Son of God chose to become man to make himself present to us in reality not in some idea or theory. He took on the very flesh that we have. So every single thing that you feel or you worry about or you think about, he has experienced it. He knew everything but sin. My favorite um, place, well, here's a little pearl for you. One of my favorite places to pray with the Lord is the Garden of Gethsemane. Why? Jesus sweat blood there. He felt completely abandoned there. He looked father very honestly and was like if it be your will let this cup pass from me so we cannot say that God does not understand our suffering he does very very deeply and you know what he still did in the midst of that suffering with his freedom and through the gift of his very body he chose to offer himself as a gift for his beloved which is us so that for eternity we would be able to still be united with him, meaning there's always hope, always hope. Um, things are, this is a little intense. I'm coming really strong because I only have so much time, so i me to just tell you a story. Um, I hesitate to tell this story sometimes because this may not have been my most mature moment of communication, uh, as in it wasn't, but I don't really feel bad about it. For better or worse, you'll see what I did. Anyway, so I kind of live under a rock. It's not a new thing, although researching does that to me. So I don't really know about things a lot of times. And five years ago, um, speaking of Tinder, Tinder, I don't actually know how long it was out, and I had to fact check today, like, which way do you swipe if you're, like, interested or not interested in a person. By the way, you swipe to the right if you are, and to the left if you're not, I think. I have checked it twice. So, because I forgot. I was like, I don't know. So I'm at um, the Columns Hotel in New Orleans with a friend, Rachelle, and we're talking. And there's this guy that comes that lives in her building, and she's like, oh, this is my friend, such and such. I meet him. We're, the three of us are just chatting. And he, God bless him, wherever he is, he was just going on and on about, oh, I'm the chief resident of this thing, and I got this award, and I got this thing, which was awesome. That's great. I just, when I first meet people, I usually don't think we're going to, like, you know, put up our resumes. So, unfortunately, my patience was very thin because I just wanted to talk to my friend. And then he was like, oh my gosh, have you all heard of Tinder? They had. I mean, my friend Rachelle had. So then they started explaining to me what Tinder is. Just so you know, about three hours before this encounter, um, I—oh, encounter, no pun intended. Anyway, three hours before this, I was on the computer having to pick a bridesmaid dress for a friend's wedding. I'd never done this before, I've been on several weddings, but this particular, like, company was one where, and I kid you not, this all happened within a few hours of each other, there's like 80 dresses to pick from, girls, you know, if there's pockets, I'm like, yes. You swipe right if you like the dress, so you can go back and see all the ones you like, and then you swipe left if you don't care for the dress. So I'm doing this, never having done this, like, swipe thing, and then I'm hearing about Tinder. And this is not a review of, like, online dating or Tinder. Like, don't assume any of the things I'm thinking. I'm just trying to give you the point of the surface versus going deeper. Um, I tend to do this thing with people, unfortunately, I'm realizing recently. Like, this has only happened a few times. But if I get really annoyed and you're not letting me talk, then I'll listen, I'll listen, I'll listen. But then if you give me a moment, I'll be really, really sweet in my tone But then I'll say something that, like, if you didn't catch it, I completely disagreed with you. So he's going on and on about Tinder. And at a certain point, I was like, (sighs) apparently I turned into Valley Girl. I was like, oh, my gosh. Wow, that's, like, so cool. Um, Gosh, earlier today, I was actually looking for a bridesmaid's dress. And, like, if I liked the dress, I just got to swipe right. And if I didn't like the dress, like, I just got to swipe left. And he was like, cool. I was like, yeah. I was like, so basically, like, I do that with dresses, but like, you do that with people. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, that's exactly right. And I was like, yeah. Weird. (laughs) He was like, oh. Our conversation quickly ended after that. The point is, I just wanted you to laugh a little bit. And that may not be the most mature way to speak to people, I realize. But in the moment, I was trying to make a point. My point was this. You are not expendable. You are not just some Ooh, that's a strong language. You are not just some picture on a screen, bunch of pixels. You are a person, you are flesh and blood, you are real. And what I wanna challenge you to is like, y'all, you only have one life, live the real one. Not the virtual world that's making all of you angry about this movement and that politician and this candidate and that thing. Like, do you understand how consumed we get? And if there is an enemy, which there is, who is fighting to distract you from, what did I say, the truth, then he wants nothing more to take your attention away from the good, the good, and to make you believe that there is no hope, even though he literally died for you, and to make you believe that this is all there really is. So, like, YOLO, do whatever. Do y'all still say YOLO? Maybe not. Right? I'm running out of time, so I'm going to wrap this up. I bring this to you tonight because John Paul II, he wrote more than most human beings. He knew like six or seven languages. The man was a genius, okay? A genius. He did not call us to the cross which is what the gospel is, because he was just, like, trying to be, like, super encouraging and, like, just give you some, like, pep talk, like, oh, it's all going to be fine. Like, sometimes you have to experience the cross. No, he was very clear. He was, like, the maturation that you were called to, the integration that you're called to, it's going to come, not every time, but a lot of times through suffering. I would be lying to you if I did not tell you that but you do not have to be afraid of suffering. What he was saying is do not be afraid to be saints. You know who saints are? They're the ones that experience the cross in their lives and they don't run away because every single person suffers. Newsflash, just for the record, in the name of Jesus, I'm just like, break off all the spirits of victimization and send them to the foot of the cross because that is BS. I said that in church. That is like just not real, y'all. You are not victims to 2020. Yeah, y'all, it's been a really weird year. I get it. But like, all due respect, get over it, y'all. We have to live our lives. This is not the first time that there's been an international issue. You know, there were like world wars before we existed, like famines, plagues. I understand and completely agree that it's a really big deal, COVID. My parents got it. I get it, okay? What I'm trying to say is at a certain point, you guys, we have to accept when John Paul II says, do not be afraid to be saints. What he is saying is, I beg of you, young people, to put your freedom into God's good hands so that he can take your freedom and pull it forward towards himself, which is your fulfillment, which is your happiness, because that teaches you and shows you. He reflects his faith and love back to you. It shows you how to be a gift which demands a lot of you, which demands that you don't always live on the plane of your emotions, but you choose with your will to be a gift of, give a gift of yourself to those entrusted to you. Do you understand? this is making sense? Do not, I beg you, do not, do not, do not run from the cross. He canonized a lot of people because he knew that people could live this. 90 seconds, I promise. Sort of. He showed that sainthood is not just St. Therese or just St. Francis of Assisi or just this sort of way of living out holiness. He said holiness comes in so many forms. You know how many different people are in this room? Guess what? Your holiness will be unique to you. But the one thing that will unite us is that we are rooted in Christ. in the man whose name, Jesus Christ, is truth himself who has become incarnate and revealed to us through this, What love looks like. So tonight, the whole reason why they call it encounter is because they want you to encounter God. The Eucharist is real. You can forget everything I said. I'm not offended. What I want you to leave with is that you're going to graduate from college, you're going to get real jobs that it's not about, can I hang out with this friend group or do this thing or get this job or do all these things and like bounce, 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 bounce. Stop, stop, stop. Everyone... Chill out. Do not run from the silence. Shut down all the distractions so that you can hear, because he's not going to scream at you. He's gentle. But you can hear him speak to you and say, arise, my beloved, and come. That's what he wants to say to unite in adoration. That's why they're bringing you the Eucharist. We just get to prepare the way. So in closing, I'm going to read to you a quote. My favorite play is The Jeweler's Shop. Maybe I forgot to mention that. There's a character, Adam, in The Jeweler's Shop who is the Christ-like figure. And this woman, Anna, she's searching about for the bridegroom. She calls him the bridegroom. He's coming. She knows he's coming. And what she sees is a man who she knows is the bridegroom. When he turns around, it's the face of her husband who she is not wanting to talk to or see or love because they've been married for many years and they've grown apart. It's indifference. It's indifference. So she is afraid of love. And Adam, the character Adam, is like, do not be afraid of love. But he invites us in the way that JP2 lived his life. It's a sacramental reality. Everything you guys has holiness. Even walking to class can be holy. Talking to your parents. Going to the movies. I mean, when we can do that, if we can do that. Whatever. I'm not coming with good examples right now. But I'm saying everything. Going for a run. Playing sports. Do not be afraid to give yourself as a gift and to live in communion with others. But remember that the best way to prepare for that is to meet face-to-face with the bridegroom, with the one who created you, the one who can show you what authentic love is. So in closing, um, I invite you to sit with this in some way in adoration. Unless you feel like you're going to fall asleep in the next 45 seconds, I invite you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read this to you. And when I say he, they're talking about the bridegroom, also known as Jesus. Well, he is constantly waiting, he continually lives in expectation. Only, this is as it were, on the far side of all of those different loves without which man cannot live. Take you, for instance, you cannot live without love. I saw from a distance how you walked down the street and tried to rouse interest. I could almost hear your soul. You were calling with despair for a love you do not have. You were looking for someone who would take you by the hand and hug you. Oh, Anna, how am I to prove to you that on the other side of all those loves which fill our lives, there is love. The bridegroom is coming down the street and walks every street. How am I to prove to you that you are the bride? One would have to pierce a layer of your soul. You would then hear him speak. And these are the words I'm closing with. This is Jesus speaking to you. Beloved, you do not know how deeply you are mine, how much you belong to my love and my suffering because to love means to give life through death. To love means to let gush a spring of the water of life into the depths of the soul, which burns or smolders and cannot burn out. The flame and the spring. You don't feel the spring, but you are consumed by the flame.